This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Hey, welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. Hope you're doing well. So let's get into it today. We're going to sit down and record uh, while driving late night from bear, our little bear excursion during the week. Man, I love hunting weekdays compared to weekends, by the way. Um, my buddy Jake decided to film me. Spoiler alert, we don't get a bear. But followed me around with the camera for two days doing some uh, public land bear hunting. And so been meaning to get this guy on the podcast because he is blue collar. He works in the welding industry. He's killed two elk. In Montana solo basically his first two real years of elk hunting had zero mentorship along his journey pretty much self-taught did his own research he's one of the most determined guys I've ever met and he's got a great attitude he's a family man uh, he just has a lot of values that we value at Elk Shape so we're gonna sit down with him and kind of uncover his some of his research and strategy and how he just crush the learning curve quite honestly so you're going to get to know jake webb he's a good friend of mine uh i built his uh bow for him on our youtube channel so you can see that it's called another bow build and it's his vxr 31 and a half we also just posted our rattle can bow build with my vxr 28 loving that bow and if you want to check that out and then we're dropping a spring bear pack dump just a day pack but just i dump my pack and go through all the gear because there's a lot of gear heads out there that are super interested and want to geek out so we do that this podcast we're going to pay bills right now is brought to you by vortex optics out of wisconsin home of a bunch of hard-working blue collar 
Brethren Cistern that make great optics with the VIP warranty. Uh, I was using 10x42 UHDs and a 65mm spotter and that uh, the new Razer 4000 laser rangefinder. Appreciate you guys making awesome optics for us blue collar guys. Thank you Kinetrek Boots. I'm using the mountain guides. Had my phone turned on the entire time I had downloaded base map. And I'm uh, going to be dropping a YouTube video on their offline mobile phone app and how to use it for best practices. Um, just still getting to know it and been really impressed with the quality. I already said I rocked that XO Mountain Gear. It's at 1800 that I'm using for the pack dump on YouTube. And that's what I've been using for Spring Bear and it's been awesome. And Matthews, guys have been really good to us this year. I'm spoiled. I have the 28 and the 31 and a half and honestly guys I don't know which one's going to get the start right now I'm using the 31 and a half because it's already set up and the 28 I'm still doing third axis and just fine tuning and trying to figure out which mods I want to put on the on that bow I don't think I'm going to have 75 pound mods on that thing I had it tested in a scale and it was pulling 79 pounds at about 16 peak holding weight and it just I don't know, maybe I'm getting old and weak, but I just didn't like that vibe. So I threw in 65 mods, still messing with that, and I'm digging it. So if I continue down that rabbit hole, I'll be doing third axis adjustments, and I'll do that shooting in, and I'll do it out of range, and I'll film it for the YouTube. Phelps Game Calls, what's up, y'all? Jason is coming with me to Wisconsin. I think there's two spots left for that Wisconsin camp, second week in July. Details on elkshape.com. Baku e-bikes, discount code ELKSHAPE400, save $400 off an e-bike. And one lucky ELKSHAPE camper is going to win a brand new Baku e-bike. Are you kidding me? Thank you guys. And, oh, I forgot to mention, Matthews is giving away a VXR to one lucky ELKSHAPE camper. So if your schedule's freed up for ELKSHAPE camps, we have Colorado coming up in June. I think there's like one spot left. Uh, Aaron Snyder's going to be there, Phil Mendoza, Dirk Durham, Jeff Bino, myself. Looking forward to that one. Get that last ticket or two, and, and we'll get that thing completely sold out. It's going to be a great camp. I'm looking forward to hanging out with everybody. Sick of Gear uh, has been giving away core lightweight hoodies at every camp. I've been giving away three, so thank you guys. Wilderness Athletes been providing product, energy and focus, hydrate, recover. I just got their new protein. Holy smokes, I just had a protein shake right after I worked out. Delicious. And Wilderness Athlete has an exclusive discount code, ELKSHAPE30. Save 30% off any purchase at Wilderness Athlete as long as it's your first purchase. Other mentionable companies that have been helping ELKSHAPE, and we just want to give you guys a shout-out, is Climate, Hamski, Easton Arrows, Tight Spot, Black Gold, Lakewood Products, Off-Grid Food Co., Crossover Symmetry, Black Ovis, Last Chance Archery, AAE veins. We have the new custom Max Stealth veins. They are in the store, so if you're interested in getting that. And then people have been asking me about um, my retention system that I wear. It's called the Scout, and it holds my Glock 23. And it's from a, a small little company called Northwest Retention Systems. They're out of Washington. I think if you use the discount code ELKSHAPE, you'll get free shipping. I use the Scout. That's what I put my Glock in. And then my Bino harness goes right over the top. And I, it's a must for bear hunting, especially archery and wolf country and, and other bear country as well. So that's what I got for you guys. Um, we're looking to 
get a really good episode here. It's a little bit longer, it's an hour and a half, so hopefully you can digest it all. And if you go to elkshape.com, be sure to check out 20 for 20. That's 20 workouts that take 20 minutes or less for 20 bucks. Fully video supported PDF. All you got to do is print out the PDF or just save it to your phone and then you click the links and can watch the the workouts. It's monkey see monkey do, man. Super basic workouts, but they're set up for for to get those hunting muscles ready with minimal equipment. If you have a sandbag or a dumbbell, that's all you need. Or your backpack. Give her hell. Have a good week. We appreciate your support. Let's get to the podcast with Jake Webb from Spokane, Washington. Remember, guys, separation is in the preparation. Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. What's up, y'all? Uh, driving home on a work night, I guess. Heading back home from Idaho. Been doing a... A two-and-a-half-day bear bender with my buddy Jacob Webb, who we're bringing on the podcast tonight because I've been wanting to get him on here. What's up, Jake? What's going on? Uh, what's going on is driving home without a bear in the back of my truck. <laughs> uh, we tried. We, we put some good effort in, that's for sure. Effort is what I'm good at. Hunting, not sure if I'm a good hunter, man. Uh, today we got close. Yesterday kind of got close, and then we got up here the day before, got a quick hunt in, but yeah, I guess we'll just do a bear recap right now before we even introduce you, Jake, but um, yeah, Jake's been following around the camera for the last couple days. He's also been my right-hand guy as far as just helping me glass, and uh, you can cover more country when you spread out in glass, and so it's been... It's been good, man, um, having you up here. You're a hard worker, and you've had some success hunting, and we'll tell people more about you. But it's just uh, it's kind of early still. Bears are starting to come out, though, and it's just about mid-May, so it's, like, really starting to get good. And you could probably go from seeing maybe one to two bears a day to start seeing five to ten bears a day if you really work hard at it and don't sleep in and really cover a lot of good country um how many bears did you see today um so the only bear i saw today was that one sow when i was back in by myself um that chocolate sow yeah yeah and you were a long ways back there you you got through snow and then you hiked on top of snow Got went out of one basin into another basin. Yeah, it was a long ways back there. So probably 14 and a half miles back. I think that's from actually the main road, right? So yeah, it was. It's at least 14 miles of national forest service road or whatever. And yeah, hitting snow and I mean that's kind of one of the higher areas. Doesn't get much higher than that around here. And yeah, so as far as getting back with the bike and then parking the bike and then it's all on for foot from there so cool and then as far as uh what did i i spotted a bear about six o'clock i found a new vantage point i'm all about vantage points and i rolled up there and i was like wow how did i not know about this vantage spot and threw my 10 by 42s up and just glassed this whole little vast area and started like really noticing that just about every section of these 
this open hillside had a stump torn apart from a bear this year. Now, I'm not talking stumps torn apart from last year or years prior. I'm like, okay, a bear is working this area. I mean, bears eat grass, but they, they tear stumps apart looking for ants, looking for, like, grub worms, bugs, whatever. They'll flip rocks, and they're in the stump-busting game right now. And this bear was out kind of doing the grass thing, and then he was tearing into a stump, and I had him at about 400 yards across the canyon from me. And I, I kind of picked out my stock, did the three things. There was three things that have to happen in, in order to kill a bear, a bear with your bow is – Number one, you have to find a bear. We'll come back to that one in a second. <laughs> Number two, got to get across the canyon. So that usually involves either finding a down log or taking your boots off and hiking your pants up and crossing. And creeks are like rivers now this time, this time of year. It's still runoff. It's been raining all day. Oh, by the way, Jake and I got completely soaked today, but still kept hunting. Um, and it really paid off because it broke and it didn't rain again from about 2 o'clock on. So, um, but anyways, back to my bear stock is located a bear, crossed the canyon successfully, got the wind right, and then could not relocate the bear. And that's what cost me that bear. And I spent 40 minutes over on the other side. Pretty much had all my landmarks. Was right where I thought that bear should be. Um, but he obviously moved a little. And in that particular spot, if a bear, if he went left or right, he was going to disappear into some kind of some scrub oak, buck brush, uh, a few little I'd say adolescent tamaracks and then a pile of alders. So, and it's so steep that you can't really see. It's not like it's the, the slope is something that it pitches out to where you can see if you're on the same side. It's so steep that if you're on the same side as the bear, you better hope it's an opening and he's there. And if he's not, but that was definitely a good boar. I got a couple pictures of him showed you and um, not a monster, but definitely a good a good representation of Idaho and a good a good looking boar. So, peeled. Yeah, I thought he was a good looking bear. Yeah, 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 nice bear. And people always wonder, like, how do you feel judge bears? And honestly, it's still hard. Um, things to look at for me is like usually attitude determines everything on an animal like yeah. posture uh just the way that they conduct their behavior and then obviously telltale signs as far as like sows will have a narrower snout or kind of like a triangle looking face and maybe a little bit bigger ears or the ears are closer together and wider hips yeah. and a smaller front end smaller shoulders so Here's what I know about bears, Jake. They move a lot. Yeah, they do. They don't stand still. Uh, so after I blew that stock, I hung out for way too long because uh, I had good wind. Yeah. He never materialized. So I jammed back over because we had decided to meet kind of near this where the truck was parked 
around, I think, 7 or 7.30, and I made it over there, and then I glassed. I beat you to the truck. Yeah, you did. <laughs> and I saw a bear straight below us, and I was like, well, I'm going after him. So I drove around, got, got on the ground, and this bear was on our bait. So I have a bait set which in a ground-and-pound type scenario, so it's not really a tree stand setup. It's more like a... Put a lot of bait in a 55-gallon drum and put it in a spot where you can glass it from a long ways away. In this instance, it's 400 yards-ish. Yeah. And yep. then if the bear's on the bait and the wind's right, go down there and shoot him. And it happened. Bear was on the barrel. And we kind of had this barrel. We had baited it earlier the day and then went bear hunting. And we've had this boar hitting the bait at random times, and then he got a girlfriend recently. <laughs> and that's pretty early, in my opinion. Yeah. But they're about a week early, but he's got a girlfriend now, and so now she's hitting the bait, and now you got to, like, make sure you shoot the right bear, which isn't really hard to do from, like, a tree stand, but when you're on the ground with them, it's trickier. Oh, yeah. So one of those deals where I'd like to not shoot a sow at all costs. I'd like to shoot a boar. And from the truck view, I knew I had to jam down there. And the barrel was strapped to a tree, and it was set up to where when the bear's at the bait, he's kind of in a position to where his ass end is kind of facing uphill, which really gives you a broadside shot from our little sneak trail that we made. So I jammed down there, got on the sneak trail, and I closed the distance fast. I bet it took me only less than 10 minutes from the time I saw him to cover that distance. And I got right to the little landing that we created, and I noticed that the barrel, I thought the barrel had been ripped off the tree. It wasn't where it was supposed to be, and the bear had actually moved the barrel, which is impressive, and put it kind of halfway tilted down the mountain which sucked for me because as soon as I got to 27 yards from the barrel, I saw the bear. I couldn't see the whole bear. I could just see pretty much its head because it's so steep. And then I saw the brown muzzle and I thought, oh, that's that sow. And so I I just was like, eh. and then I threw my rangefinder up just to kind of because that little vortex 4000's got a pretty good little optical in yeah. there so I put that up on the bear and I was like yeah I think that's the sow and then I put it down and that my sleeve just kind of made a sound because I had a rain jacket on and that bear just kind of looked in my direction heard that sound and took off running and I was bumming dude because I thought for sure if I could just I had a good wind if I could just hang out there she would bring that boar in and I could probably get a shot. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. So that was pretty exciting today. It's about 10 o'clock. Heading home. My wife works at 12 tomorrow. And she's been super gracious. She's let me hunt a lot of bears. I think I got about seven or eight days of bear hunting in. And I'm pretty sure if I had a rifle, I'd be done about 10 times over. <laughs> I've seen 10 different bears so far this year, which has been cool. And it's been really nice having you. Just helping me out, man. Um, I want to get to know you and have everybody kind of 
tag along as we talk a little bit of bears, talk a lot about elk, and talk about just kind of blue-collar elk hunting. So you're, are you in your 30s yet? Yeah, so I'll be 34 this year. 34 years young. Yeah. Okay, you're not married, but you have kids. Two uh, girls. Two yep. girls. What's so their a, ages? A 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. So uh, Naomi is my 10-year-old, and uh, Kaya is my 8-year-old. So my uh, my younger daughter's definitely more into hunting and shooting bows. So. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a blast. They keep me busy, keep me on my toes. So it's uh, interesting during hunting season having having the kiddos for sure. So got to plan time accordingly before hunting season. So. But they're excited when dad goes hunting and stories to come back home. And uh, they're always excited when I bring something home. So, Well, how but did you get into hunting? Because your dad doesn't hunt, that's for sure. My dad used to hunt when he was younger. Um, his dad hunted a little bit. They did a lot of waterfowl in California, um, a little bit of whitetail hunting. Um, never bear hunted, never elk hunted. Um, my dad, he has a couple trophies from skeet shooting, um, a lot of stuff like that that did with shotguns growing up. Um, all my dad's hunting stories are all based around duck hunting. Um, where we grew up in California was on like a 20 acre ranch at the base of a uh, national forest. So there was our little chunk of property, which is about 20 acres. And we pretty much just shot ground squirrels on there growing up. And then behind us, there was hundreds of acres of cattle ranch. And the people who owned that cattle ranch would let uh, me and my little brother pretty much just run amok on the property and just shoot ground squirrels. So he ran cattle. And uh, we all know ground squirrels tearing up the ground are bad news for cattle. So we, we grew up shooting um, ground squirrels a lot on that. And then behind that was all national forest. So we could hike from my house and get on National Forest. Um, and that was something like every weekend we were out doing something outside. So growing up shooting, that was kind of the, the name of the game. Um, and it was all with like a 410 or a 1022 growing up. Um, I didn't pick up my first bow until I was probably 21 years old. And it was a used bow, and we just shot targets with it. I didn't actually kill anything with a bow until I moved to Spokane. Um, bought a Bowtech, started shooting that. And I hunted Washington for elk for two years. Um, super frustrated with that. You know how difficult that is, trying to find elk and dealing with all the people. Um, I kind of got frustrated with that and talked to a buddy and we kind of came up with a plan on hunting montana um and i put in got a tag two years ago um spent five trips just scouting putting out cameras um, kind of learning a couple different areas um my buddy at the time kind of flicked out and uh, i had a tag and i was motivated and i just set a goal and i went out there by myself um, I think the first Montana bull that I killed, it took me 18 days and it wasn't 18 days straight, but that's how long it took me in Montana. I'd go for about a week 
I came back, spent some time with my kids. I'd go back again. Um, so two years ago, I killed my bull the 17th. This last year, I killed my bull on the 19th. And my birthday is the 18th. So I got one before, one after. Um, but I've pretty much watched every YouTube video that you can think of to teach yourself how to elk hunt. Um, did the elk shape camp which was awesome learning from everybody there um, getting to know a good group of guys um, kind of expanding from that um, i think the first year in montana kind of was a a big eye-opening to how difficult elk hunting can be and uh not that i was in the worst shape then but that's when i kind of made the goal to myself to get in better shape that following year is when i did uh elk shape camp i think it was the 2.0 is the second one that you did in spokane and uh, from then on i've been changing my diet i've been eating a lot healthier i've been exercising a lot more um i think now i'm turning 34 this year i'm probably in as good or better shape than when i was probably 25 so i shoot my bow as much as i can um the one thing I need to work on a little bit, I just, me personally, I think I need to get better at is um, bugling. I can cow call pretty decent. Um, all the bugles that, that I've used for the last two years have worked, but um, most of the time it's just a locator bugle. Once I get them located, I kind of work my way in and I cow call from then on out. And it's worked the last two years, so I've gotten, you know, meat in the freezer, so I'm not complaining there, but I just like to to work more and get better um yeah so that's kind of the plan from here on out all right i like everything you said there because there's a lot to unpack i guess you hunted solo in montana for 18 days and killed your first elk with a bow yep impressive and then you went back and did it again Yep, following year, I went back into pretty much the same location from where I killed my full first bull to where I killed my second bull is probably as a crow flies four miles, five miles, but obviously different drainages and you're not walking from one to the other. I'll hike back, get in the truck, drive to a new location, hike in, um, but that that drainage, that area, I'm I'm learning pretty good. Well, nobody just wakes up one day and be like, well, I'm going to go buy a bow so I can archery elk hunt. So you got to, we got to dig in on that, man. Like, <laughs> why did you go and get a bow at, I don't know how old you were when you bought your first bow tech, but you said you were 21 when you first started shooting a bow, but how, like, there's a progression there, like... If you're from California, you probably would have started with, like, pigs or deer, maybe yeah. bear, but maybe, or something like that. But you, it sounds like you just went for elk. Like, how did you get into archery for hunting? Um, so, growing up, I, I've killed a lot of things with a rifle. And personally, I don't want it to sound like bragging at all, but it just it wasn't much of a challenge anymore to rifle hunt for me. Um not that I've killed, a, I've never killed an elk. 
um, with a rifle. I've never killed a bear with a rifle. Um, we did tons and tons of small game. Um, it just, it wasn't hard anymore. And I kind of like a challenge. And I looked at bow hunting as a new adventure and it's definitely going to be more difficult. Um, the other thing I like is the seasons and the options you have. So hunting elk in September is phenomenal. And the first time that I ever heard an elk bugle was in September in the Spokane area. So where we live in the valley, this spot I could drive to within half an hour. And I went in and I was actually putting corn out for whitetail. I had a camera out and I was just learning how to call, um, watched tons of YouTube videos, went in with, um, funny enough, so I actually had a hoochie mama at the time. Everybody knows what those are. And I had a Terminator and obviously I'm not using those now, but, uh, I went into this. You're spot. not? <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I don't get it. There's much better things now that uh, that I prefer different tones, and uh, you can make a lot of sounds with with one reed, and uh, you don't have to carry all that stuff around. But um, I went into the spot, checked my camera, filled up my feeder full of corn, and squeezed that hoochie mama a couple of times, and I had three different bulls bugle in this basin. And I was like shocked. And uh, I didn't have my bow, didn't have an elk tag. And sun was going down. I mean, I probably had 20 minutes of light left. And me just being curious, I just wanted to see how close I could get to them. So I bombed down into this canyon and tried to be as quiet as I could. Um, used to, you know, whitetail hunting at the time. Didn't realize how much noise you can get away with um, elk hunting. I get down in there, squeeze that hoochie mama a couple more times, and I had two elk bugle at me. The other one, he caught my wind. My wind was going right towards him. Um, I kind of knew that going in there, but um, I wanted to see how close I could get one of these bulls to come into me. And I ended up working my way to this little clearing, kind of tucked in behind some trees. And it was just to the point where I could barely even see. And I had that bull come in probably 30 yards away and was bugling and the only way that I could see him was you know him skylining up against the sky but it was so dark that um, you know I couldn't see his actual body and tell you you know what what he actually really looked like um, and ever since then like hearing a bull bugle that close like I was hooked and um Growing up in California, I'd watch elk hunting on TV, but as we all know, what we see on TV is not real life. It doesn't happen like that. And uh, as a kid, the only elk that I've ever seen growing up is on Tejon Ranch. Um, so I think a lot of us know where Tejon Ranch is in California. I don't. Where is that? Um, so if you're driving from Central Valley, California, and you're driving to the coast, like you're going to go to Pismo, um, San Luis Obispo, that area. Halfway between there, there's a huge ranch. Um, that's where uh, Joe Rogan killed that bull. So that's on Tahoe Ranch. That okay, that video yeah. With Joe. So you drive by the highway and you can see that ranch from the highway. So as you're going in, depending on the time of the year, 
um, you have opportunities to see elk on on that ranch. Um, <clears throat> unless you have tons of money, obviously you're not hunting there. So a guy like me, I'm not ever going to have an opportunity to hunt a ranch like that. It's all going to be public land. Um, and that's honestly, that's what I would prefer. I'd rather hunt public land. I kind of like doing it myself, putting in the work and you have more options. So you're literally living in Spokane, Washington. Yep. And you're all about that whitetail action. So you're going to be, are you <laughs> getting ready to bow hunt whitetail or were you actually getting ready to rifle hunt whitetail? Um, I was planning on bow hunting when we moved here. Um, so I was married at the time we moved here. Um, we bought a house remodeling it. Um, that kind of ended up being a huge train wreck. Um, lived in Spokane for about two and a half, three years. Um, me and my ex-wife ended up splitting up. Um, in between that time is when um, I actually got my two bulls. So I don't know if that means anything or not. But uh, she was okay with me hunting for the most part. Um, my kids weren't super stoked as much as I was gone, but that's why I tried to come back um, every week or so. Um, <clears throat> now they're they're okay with dad being gone more now, and I try to. I have an inreach, so I'll send my older daughter texts and check in and see how she's doing, make sure she's doing good. Um, but. Moving to Spokane, um, I started bow hunting a lot more. So, um, and that's when you went and bought the bow, or um, that's when I bought my first bow tech was here. So I actually was on um, I was on eBay, and I found a bow tech. And funny enough, I was looking at the address, and it's SVA. So. I called SVA and I asked them, hey, you guys got some stuff you're selling on eBay. Can I just come into the store? And uh, they ended up giving me the same eBay price and uh, got the bow all set up. And <clears throat> when I went in, it was, this is the release that I would recommend. These are the arrows I would recommend. And we pretty much got the bow set up that first day. Um, I could shoot up to 60 yards at home and I would shoot three to four times a week um, at home. And I did that for probably three months before I hunted Montana. So so you, you got this bow after you heard those bulls bugling? Yep. So you were probably feeding whitetail, for getting ready for a rifle. Yep. And you hear elk bugle. You looked into it. You're like, I need to get a bow. I need a bow hunt. So you skipped over rifle hunting elk? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I, I skipped over rifle hunting in Spokane, you know, completely. So um, as soon as I got that bow, my thoughts were turkeys, which can kind of be a little bit of fun. Um, my older daughter um, liked turkey hunting at the time. Um, now my younger daughter is completely stoked to go turkey hunting. Um, whitetail and elk. Those are my three um, that I wanted to hunt. Now, turkeys are pretty much on the back burner. The only reason that I go turkey hunting is because my younger daughter um, really likes doing it. Um, she has a blast. Um, getting her up at 4.30 in the morning can kind of be a little bit of a struggle, but um, when she's out there, 
Um, she actually has her own little call. She has a little box call, and uh, she's getting pretty good with a read. And uh, it, as soon as she gets a, a tom to gobble back, she just, like, lights up. Like, that's that's the only reason that I go turkey hunting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as far as whitetail goes, it it is a struggle for me to sit in a tree stand. I don't hunt early season. I always hunt late season. So it's a struggle for me to sit in a tree stand freezing my butt off you know middle november and um i don't know elk elk hunting to me like gets my blood flowing it's hard work i feel like the the payout there the amount of meat that you get the quality of the meat like it's much more beneficial for me to elk hunt than than whitetail not saying whitetail can't be fun um it's just it's not the same so, dude, like, I'm still, like, baffled that you just, you, you grabbed a boat, these elk bugled, you called them in. I mean, that's pretty cool. Did, you got a bow, and then you went for it without a mentor. So, you don't have an elk hunting mentor at all? Um, so, I had a friend that um, I used to work with. Um, we were both welding at the time. He ended up quitting moving um, to an area in Montana. And uh, the plan was we were going to do scouting together. We were going to hunt together. Um, and that was about it. I never <clears throat> I never shot bows with them. He never taught me how to call. He pretty much did his own thing. I did my own thing. And the plan was um, leading up to September is we'd do multiple scouting trips we throw out some cameras, we check these areas, and he kind of ended up flaking out, and he had some issues with um, his kids and his wife, and um, it just wasn't going to work out for him. So I would leave on a Friday night after work. Um, I'd get off at 4.30. I'd have my truck packed, ready to go, and I'd have cameras packed, um, ice chests full of food, and I would leave Spokane, drive, get to where I was planning on scouting, sleep in the truck for the night, and then I would get up Saturday morning, hike in, put cameras out, check cameras, um, kind of explore those areas, get used to, you know, the terrain a little bit. I did that five times before... Five scouting trips to Montana. Five scouting trips. Montana's a big state, and it's not that close to Spokane. <laughs> I mean, even just Missoula's... Th- just over probably three yeah one way and so that's impressive man so five different scouting trips and your buddy didn't show up by any of those i take it um he showed up one time and he kind of was doing his thing flaking out a little bit and uh i just kind of decided from then i sent him text letting him know hey i'm planning on coming is this going to work out and uh it never did from then on out and Instead of kind of getting buttered about it and not going, I just said, all right, I'm just going to go by myself. Impressive. Impressive. And, it, you know, you defy the odds without a mentor and really with no elk hunting knowledge, like firsthand experience other than a hoochie mama bugling <laughs> in Spokane, Washington, which when we're done recording, I want to know where this was because <laughs> I never heard an elk bugle. Actually, I've heard elk bugle outside of Cheney yeah. um, in October, but that's all private land and pay-to-play type stuff, which is not 
I don't think it's either one of our programs. So that's impressive. Let's let's dig in on your research leading up to your first year in Montana. Okay, so you had this guy tell you about some areas. He was going through some things. He wasn't going to be able to hunt with you. Yeah, so he made it one through one scouting trip. So you're relying on boots on the ground, trail cameras, yep. and getting to know the lay of the land, getting to know the road systems, yep. figuring out the best places to camp, the best trailheads, what are some areas that are probably overlooked. But let's back it up even more. Like, what are you doing on the internet? That's what I want to know because that's where people start. That's guaranteed where you started. Yep. Who were you following? What YouTubes or what? Who was who was providing information that you were like, oh, that's what I needed to know. Yeah. So even even back then, so I obviously I followed you on um, Instagram. I watched tons of YouTube videos. So I'd watch a lot of your stuff on on YouTube. Um, Dirk Durham's got some awesome stuff on calling. Um, Randy Newberg's got some good stuff on uh, Onyx Maps and going into some stuff there. Um, that initial spot that I went to with my buddy, that was actually probably six miles up the canyon, higher altitude, um, from where I was hunting. And that first trip, when I actually came back home, um, got on the laptop, pulled up Onyx map, looked at where we were at and said, okay, I have a trail camera out there. I'm going to have to go back there and check that. But... I want to find my own spots and let's kind of dive deeper into that canyon. And with Onyx, I basically, just from looking at Topo and just from looking at burns that were in that area previous years, um, I pretty much just dropped pins, never going there before. Dropped a couple spots that I wanted to check. There was a totally different road I would have to go into. Um, and let's see, it was probably two weeks later, I went back in, checked my camera that I went to um, with my buddy, went back out. It takes me probably an hour to get to that other spot because you got to drive all the way out to the road, drive all the way down, drive back in. Um, and basically got boots on the ground, had Onyx on my phone, and went in, and I just started covering grounds. So... I ended up finding a wallow that trip, throwing a camera on a wallow. Um, I ended up finding a good spot to set up a spike camp um, and saw a lot of elk signs. So from the previous year, some game trails, some different things like that. Um, this third trip I went in, um, that's actually where I killed my bull this last year. And when I went in there scouting, I saw a lot of cows in that area. Um, and this is summertime, I'm assuming July, August? Yeah, so in July, in that spot, um, I heard bulls bugle in July in that spot when I was scouting. And it's just like a one locator, and they're not screaming crazy like during the rut, but I hear one locator, and um, that spot I had two cameras out, and... It's an old burn. There's a lot of just pecker poles that are just standing. So you can glass and see six, 700 yards in some of these spots. So you're pretty much hiding behind rocks or hiding, you know, in canyons. Um, 
the bull that I shot out of that area, um, I shot him at 39 yards as he was coming up and I had a decoy. He was coming up the canyon, perfect broadside, 39 yards. And I'm just standing in the wide open. I'm not behind any brush, nothing. So that area has been, I think that burn was in 2018. So there's not a whole lot of growth in there. Wow, that's pretty recent. Um, a lot of stuff was on fire in 2018 in Montana. Yeah. A lot of stuff was. And that's cool to hear that you used a decoy. I would have never thought a rookie hunter would bring a decoy, especially in a <laughs> timber country or whatever you were, pecker pole country in Montana. Uh, um, do you think that decoy helped seal the deal on that first bull? Um, so that was actually my second bull. I, oh, had, second the, bull. I had the decoy my, my first bull. Um, there was a herd bull that I was trying to kill that year and we can kind of dive into that a little bit. So I had Montana decoy, um, had some different calls and I would set that decoy up 30, 40 yards behind me and I would never carry the sticks that you're supposed to use to stick them into the ground. I'd literally open that thing up, lean it up against a tree and, uh, I pulled my pocket knife out and I'd stab that thing against the tree to keep it up. Um, I just didn't want to carry the extra weight, but I had that decoy up behind me and I'd call in this herd bull three different times and hoping that he would see that cow in the opening and he would come in and, uh, that guy, he's not stupid. He would come in and I could get him to get about a hundred yards from me and he would just stop. I couldn't get him to come any closer. Um, the last opportunity I had to get on him. He had six to eight cows with him. Um, I had got up that morning at 4.30, and <clears throat> I knew the general area where he was bedding, but you can't just beadline a straight line to him because the wind goes right in his face. So I'd get up at 4.30 in the morning, hike all the way around this canyon, and come up from the other side to get the wind right. And he had his cows with him, I cow call, get him to bugle back. I'm working my way in there, and I'm probably, I'm within 100 yards. And I can hear somebody else bugling. Definitely could tell it's a person from the side you can't go up because your wind will blow right at him. And I'm just sitting there like, no, there's no way this is happening. Like, I don't run into people at this spot. And uh, <clears throat> I cow call, keep working my way in, and that guy pushes his way, gets you know close to that bull, calls, and uh, that bull ends up winning him, blowing him out. I watched the bull just run and run and run, and I never saw that bull again the rest of that season. And um, you know I'm super bummed. That was the bull I was after. He was a nice big six by six bull, and. Uh, I'm kind of walking out of there with my tail between my legs and come out, post up at camp, roll my stuff up. And, uh, I actually ran into that guy as he was coming out and he realized by then that his wind was going right up and he kind of apologized. He didn't realize that I was back in there. And, um, instead of me getting bummed and coming home, I packed my stuff up and I went to that second spot that I had scouted out, threw my tent back up, 
threw my awning up, got all my stuff all ready to go. And three days after that, I killed my first bull. And that that bull that I killed, he's not a huge herd bull. He's a, a five by five. But for my first bull and archery hunting, basically teaching myself what I could learn off of YouTube, um, I went in. And it wasn't the typical early in the morning or right before dark that a lot of us hear about. It was like noon. I was literally getting ready to have lunch. And that bull screamed down in the canyon. I was kind of surprised. And uh, you can obviously tell it's not a person. So I go to the edge. I bugle back at him. He screams back at me. And we did that back and forth. And when he initially bugled at me, he was probably 800 yards away. And that bull I could see from about 600 yards away. He would scream, work his way up the canyon. I set that decoy up on a tree to my left, about 40 yards away. The canyon that he had to come up was below me and to the right. And it was the only way he could come up. It was a rock cliff that I was on, and it was a rock cliff on the other side. And I ranged probably three different spots, and I had shots as close as 20 and all the way out to probably 50. And that bull came up that canyon, and he was kind of quartering to me. And I wasn't comfortable at the time making a shot like that. But he came all the way up, saw my decoy. He did a 180 and took probably three steps and stopped. So he was on his way back down that canyon after he realized that's not a real cow. He stopped and I nailed him 39 yards. Wow. Yeah. You think he realized that cow wasn't real? Um, I think it blew in the wind and once he saw that she was a quarter inch thick, it was probably a little skinny for his taste and <laughs> he, he went down the hill. Yeah, man, I, I'm just still kind of baffled. That's why I keep asking these similar questions. So because I remember my first, my learning curve was long, man. And I didn't have mentorship. I had the, the elk taught me how to elk hunt. Yeah. And they taught me at a pace at which it took seasons <laughs> to figure out. I did have a buddy or two help me along the way, but. Ultimately, it was time in the field. Yeah. Um, so you did really well for yourself. Just So this upcoming season, is it your third year? This will be your third year of elk hunting? Um, no. So I hunted Washington two years. No success there. Third year, went to Montana, got my first bull. Last year, went back to Montana, got another bull. Okay. So <clears throat> I'm obviously, I'm planning on going back to Montana this year, so... Wow. So in Washington, why didn't you just go to your little spot with your hoochie mama and just bugle those bulls in? Um, so there's a lot of private around that area. Um, I have 20 acres of private that uh, a guy has given me permission to hunt. Other than that, there's just chunks of private all around there. And it's just frustrating trying to track elk on that small property. And I'd put a camera up, and they'd come um, probably a week, like in September. They're on that property. That's it. And um, on all the public, 
in Washington that I would go to. There's just so many people, and it it's tough trying to get elk to come in and watch. I would do the same program in Washington that I do in Montana, and it just is not working for me. Yeah, it's not enough real estate, and there's a lot more hunters in yeah. a smaller area and, yep. and accesses. Yeah, and there's guys that get it done. I tip my hat to them, but it's not the kind of elk hunting that I like. I want to be able to get away from people as much as possible definitely um so you you really two years in washington two years in montana so this will be your fifth year of elk hunting yep you've been to elk shape camp but you've also been a student of the game you mentioned newberg dirk durham the bugler um but i don't think you're diving in to how much research you actually do like you're first off you're spike elk hunting you're doing spike yep. camps that means you have to have good gear where yep. are you understanding or who is teaching you about gear how are you making purchase decisions and testing gear and getting used to back backpack style elk hunting which is a whole nother level yeah so i've been backpacking um a lot so i actually grew up um, going to boy scouts since i was probably seven, eight years old, all the way until 17. So I grew up backpacking um, a lot. And even after um, that, as an adult, um, I'm kind of a, a gear junkie. I can get on YouTube and go down a rat hole for hours. I mean, watching hunting videos and watching gear reviews and just trying to look at what the new um, best stuff out there is or lighter weight things. Um, I, I can do until, you know, I pass out at midnight some nights, but, uh, um, as far as backpack goes, sleeping bags, gear, um, I've been, you know, on 50 mile hikes, I've been on 20 mile hikes where we're bringing dehydrated food and purifying all of our water, all that kind of stuff. Um, growing up in California, it's definitely not as rainy. It's definitely not as cold. Um, so moving to Spokane, doing those kind of things up here, it's a different learning curve for sure. Um, in September, a lot of people watch on TV and they're seeing people in, you know, t-shirts and they're hunting and it's 75 and sunny. Well, that's not real life. This year, as you know, um, it rained on me eight days in a row every day two of those days it snowed on me um and that was bivy camping in a hammock which i'll never do again um basically have a little tarp that uh is over the top of me with a hammock underneath and i'm i'm six miles from the truck and that spot um, a lot of the gear that i have uh, my pack is kind of heavy um, i get cold super easy um and the sleeping bag that I brought in there with me is actually a negative 25 degree bag. The oh, wow. The problem is that bag weighs like nine and a half pounds. Um, so it keeps me warm. But so are you making multiple trips into your spike camp for gear? Um, nope. You just throw it all in one I'm trip? I'm making one trip. And what is your pack weigh-ish on that first hike into spike Oof. to set spike camp up it's over 60 pounds yeah <clears throat> so i'm taking enough water for the day 
I'm taking a stove. I'm taking enough food for five days, six days if you kind of push it. Obviously, my bow, um, sleeping bag. I took way too much clothes this year. I had extra clothes that I didn't need. Um, but I, I bet my pack is over 60 pounds. Um, as we've kind of been, you know, talking about hunting season on these last couple of days, just at the cabin and kind of hanging out, I actually had the idea. So I have cameras still in those spots. I, I leave them in all year. As soon as the snow melts here in another month, I'm planning on going back in there and getting those cameras. But the idea I had, um, I think it was just yesterday actually, was getting a dry bag, stuffing that thing full of food, because that's the one thing that's limiting me. When I go back in to check that camera, stashing that food up in a tree somewhere, that way in September I got five, six days of food already waiting for me in there, and I'm going to carry in another five days worth of food. So that's kind of an idea that I had just, that's the only thing that limits me. There's water where I'm camping. The elk are within a mile of me where I'm camping. Typically that's where they've been. The one thing that limits me is food. And uh, this last year for dinner one night, I ended up having a bowl of oatmeal and a Snickers bar because that's all I had left. <laughs> So in the last few years, you've obviously invested in some equipment. Tell us, I think you kind of hinted to the hammock not being really the best investment. I want to know why that didn't work out. And then I want to know maybe some pieces of equipment that you finally got. And you're like, yes, this is, some, this is something that everyone should get. Um, yeah, so let's talk about the hammock first. When I initially bought the hammock... My idea was um, I got the hammock and the shelter and some straps all together. It's kind of like a package deal. Um, and I got it to save on weight. And I think the hammock, the straps, and the shelter is less than three pounds. Um, and probably my fault. I never set the thing up. I never slept in it other than when I went in to hunt. So threw all the stuff in my pack, went in. <clears throat> the first night, like, I kind of tossed and turned a little bit at night. You're not doing that in a hammock. You have that arch where your back is just arched all night, but you set your stuff up in there. <clears throat> you kind of slide down into the lowest spot in that hammock. Um, and I actually end up putting a foam pad like you would lay down on the ground putting the foam pad in there for extra installation insulation underneath me sleeping on that and it, it worked but three four days doing that over again man my back was wrecked and I it, bet. It, it's not comfortable and then the other thing is you look down at night through your feet and you looking right out into the middle of you know the night right out the top is the same thing so you're back in there and there's no grizzly bears back in that area there's there's black bears um but you're basically you know this human burrito tied to a tree just sitting there tied um all night and once you've solo hunted for that long 
<clears throat> like it's it's a mental game how far you can push yourself i mean you're back there five six days and you don't see anybody so at night you hear mice you hear deer you hear elk you hear all those things moving around and it sounds like a big huge bear in the woods and uh that might sound a little wussy ish but uh i think it was probably the fourth night that uh tarp that i have there's these runners that you tie down you stake down um i had a deer run through my camp and clip one of those runners and it woke me up and i could not go back to sleep yeah, the whole the whole shelter is like shaking and that thing came running through camp and uh yeah it was a eye-opening experience for sure wow um but that's just me personally i i think and what hammock, about like your tarp like so it rained on you and you had a hammock yep how did you keep your stuff dry um so everything that was underneath the tarp stayed dry um the problem is it's only uh six foot long by three foot wide area so if it's not underneath there it's not staying dry so i would cook my breakfast and cook my dinners literally like pushing my hammock out of the way staying underneath that little tarp so it's a very small area that uh i have and the wind blows through so you kind of want to position that tarp to try to help with the wind but you only have trees in certain areas. I mean, you can't um, put a tree where you would like to best block the wind. So you're kind of making the best of the situation. Um, but trying to dry stuff out and trying to organize stuff and trying to set your gear up, you don't have a lot of space. So this year, I, I definitely want to do like a one-man um, tent, maybe a one-man with a little vestibule to keep stuff dry um and you can kind of cook in that vestibule but you're sleeping on the ground you're going to be in an air mattress you're going to be a lot more comfortable um that hammock it might work as you know like a chair in the middle of the day but as far as sleeping it is not my thing um as far as sleeping bags go um, that bag was a slumberjack bag, and they're not super expensive. You can pick them up for under 100 bucks, but the problem is they're heavy, so super heavy. Um, I'm looking at a stone glacier this year, um, a little pricey, but I think they're under three pounds for a 20-degree bag. Um, some of the stuff that I'm using that I really like that I think people would probably um, enjoy is... Um, once you get an animal down on the ground, the, the worst thing you want is a crappy knife, um, to cut that thing up. And I had, I think it was an outdoor edge and the blade was fine, but I just don't like, it's like a channel that the blade slides into and crap just gets stuck in that thing. They're kind of a pain to clean. Um, I end up going with a Havilon. And I've used that thing the last two years, and that knife is phenomenal. Um, I use the 70A, I think is what it is, and the blade at the end is a little bit rounded. It doesn't come to a point. Um, I really like those blades. Um, and I've killed the two bulls, and I've cleaned both of them with that Havilon. And you can do 
90% with that Havilon blade. And um, it's super easy to clean, super easy to change blades. Um, you have a lot of options there. Um, I got the orange one. It's an orange handle. Just It's easy to find, easy when you set down. Um, you can find it, do what you need to do, set it down. You're not going to lose it. Um, the water purification that I use is a, a SteriPen. And I, I like it and I don't like it. The one I have is a smaller one. Um, the battery on it doesn't last a super long time, so I do have to charge it. Uh, multiple times when I'm back there. I'm probably going to change that out. What do you charge it with? Um, so I have a battery bank that's a, a black web. So it's basically the size of your cell phone, um, a little bit thicker. And then <clears throat> I have a Goal Zero solar panel that I pack in there. And what I do is I open up that solar panel, plug in that cord, I leave that battery bank sitting there, and I position it where it's going to be in the sun most of the time during the day. Um, even if it's overclass, overcast, um, that solar panel is going to pick up and it's going to charge that battery. And I leave that at my spike camp. So while I'm hunting all day, I'll come back and that battery bank will be either 90, 100% charged. And I can charge my phone. I can charge um, that steering pin if I need to charge my inReach. Um, anything I'll charge off of that battery bank. Um, it's probably a little heavy carrying a solar panel and a battery bank. Um, but when you're doing it by yourself, you need everything that you need. So you're going to take it with you. Um, and it, it's worked great. I haven't had any issues with the battery. I haven't had any issues with the solar panel. Um, it keeps everything I need charged. Um, I will say <clears throat> one of the things that I always take with me, I've had it this whole time um, we've been bear hunting, is that Garmin inReach. And the one I have is the Mini. And uh, you can check the weather with it. Um, you have the SOS if you need. And you can always um, send a text out. Um, a couple of the areas that I've been in Montana, just because the trees are so tight and the canyons are so tight, <clears throat> there's a minimal amount of satellites you need for that thing to work. So it'd be pouring down raining. I haven't talked to anybody in two days. So to let um, my dad, my brother, or the two guys I check in with, so to let them know that I'm still alive, I try to send them a message at least every other day, every two days. Um, I never let it go past three days. And uh, they both know the area that I'm in. They kind of know the basin that I'm in. But I try to get a hold of one of them and just let them know hey I'm good um, I haven't seen any elk um, whatever so it keeps that thing um, charged and hunting solo by yourself in the back of your mind that's one of those things you break your leg you get hurt you get mauled by a bear whatever the case you can pull that thing out hit the SOS button and you know in the back of your mind it's somebody's going to be on their way to come help you so um, I think a lot of people that are married, their spouse is going to appreciate that. Um, a lot of people that are hunting solo, in the back of your mind, you got you know, a backup plan, you got help. Because um, you can't pick up a phone and call somebody if you get hurt. you got to have a way to communicate. Um, and sat phones are super expensive. Um, they're super expensive for a membership. 
and uh, those little inriches, it, it's super light, super small. It, uh, it's pretty awesome. And I've used it the last two years. Um, when I get a bull down, um, I, I probably could have packed out my bull by myself this year, but it was in a such bad spot. I needed help, and I used that inreach, text my brother and said, hey, whoever's willing to come help, this is my location. This is where I'm at. I got a bull down. And within five minutes, I had a message back saying, okay, we're on our way. And nice. I had that bull cut up, hanging, got back to my spike camp, stayed the night there, hiked back a mile and a half, got a load of meat. You know, this is obviously the next day. Got a load of meat, and I hiked seven miles all the way to my truck. And on my way out to my truck, both of my older brothers were coming in to help me pack out that bull. So we kind of did a little switcheroo, ran a bunch of meat back and forth, and uh, it took us a day and a half to get that bull out. Good Lord. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. What What have you – wow. That would have been a bad deal by yourself, man. Yeah, it – um. One of the things that, that I'm starting to carry with me solo hunting for elk is I have these pulleys that I got from REI. They're made out of aluminum, and I have a section of rope. It's about 30, 40 feet of rope. Um, I think it's 8 mil rope, and I got two pulleys, and it was so steep where that bull went down, and he was wedged underneath a log. I couldn't roll him uphill. No. And if I was to move the log and roll him downhill, he was going to fall off like a 40-foot ledge. So I'm pretty screwed. So <clears throat> I got front quarter, back quarter, back straps off. Now I got all the rest of the meat underneath. Well, you got to flip him over. And what I did is I got paracord, went through the spine, went up to a tree, and kind of did a trucker's hitch, which making a pulley out of the rope. Yep. And trying to use paracord to flip over half an elk. And, dude, it was a pain in the ass. Oh. So um, that that's going in the pack this year is going to be a section of pulleys. Um, it's going to help for lifting anything up a tree I need to. It's going to help for flipping a bull over. Um, you know, lots of uses. Um, and it's not too heavy. Um, one thing I am going to have to do. I was talking to, to Tim last time when I was out um, bear hunting with Tim. We were kind of going over gear lists and what I take with me, and he's cracking up laughing of how much stuff that I pack in. And uh, part of my problem is there's stuff that I have in totes, and I'll open these things up, and I'll be like, oh, I might need that. Oh, I might need that. I go through, and before I know it, I get a 65-pound pack. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's the one thing you got to figure out is what you really need, what you don't need. Obviously, bare minimum, you're going to need your bow. You're going to need somewhere to sleep, a sleeping bag to keep you warm. You need your food, something to cook with. And then you need, like, all the emergency stuff. Like, I pack in a first aid kit. I pack in stuff to keep my feet maintained. So um, I have duct tape. I have super glue. Um, I always pay or carry an extra pair of socks, you know, tons of stuff like that. And uh, before you know it, your stuff is getting pretty heavy. Um, this year I do want to get a new pack. 
So I've been running uh, Everly Stock Pack. I think it's a Blue Widow. Um, I've ran that the last three years, and it's. I have no complaints about the pack other than it's heavy. Um, What's the pack weigh? I think empty, the pack is over six pounds. Okay. Ish. Um, it has a built-in scabbard. You can undo a zipper, pull this scabbard out, and you can throw a rifle kind of up against your back. Um, I never use that, so all that stuff is just extra weight I'm carrying around. But um, all the straps that are on it, all the buckles that are on it, I mean, they're heavy-duty. They're they're built really, really well. Um, but the thing weighs a lot. It, it's it's a pretty heavy pack. So um, I haven't really made my mind up what I'm doing um, I think Exo Pack makes a good pack, and I think uh, Kufaru makes a good pack. So that's going to be on the list. Um, this year is a new pack and a new sleeping bag are the two um, things that I'm going to kind of figure out. Yeah, so <clears throat> on the lines of the Exo, they have that 4800 bag Yep. on the K3 frame, but then they got that bigger bag. I think it's 6400. Yep. You might be a 6,400 guy <laughs> based on our conversation. Yeah. And their stuff runs pretty light. And you can also pull the bag away and pack the meat out first trip, you know. Yep. Which might be more your style. And I don't know. We'll have to, and then as far as sleeping bags go, I've heard good things about that Stone Glacier bag. Um Lampers runs that, I think. And yep. I just got a Western Mountaineering Versalite. That's a 10-degree bag. And that thing's under two pounds, brother. Yeah, that's awesome. You might have to check that out next time you're over and see that bag. So have you ever ran a sleeping bag liner that'll add, like, an extra 10 degrees to your bag? No, not not really. I have worn a bivy sack over my sleeping bag okay inside a tent just for that extra layer while yeah. wearing my puffy pants puffy <laughs> i run cold dude yeah and, and i think i was hunting with a guy who was a cameraman he was filming my hunt and he was like sleeping in his underwear you know what i mean he's just he's a bigger guy and he just slept warm and i was so jealous because i had to like literally put everything i had on and a bivy over my bag. <laughs> but I haven't, I have not, I've obviously seen bag liners, but I've never bought one. I've never thought that they would work. Um, I've, I've tried one before. So um, most mummy bags, like, you know, you get into those things and they're super cold right out of the gate. You kind of got to warm them up. Um, I had one that was like a fleece um, sleeping bag liner. You'd put that in and it was supposed to add like 10 degrees, but the one thing that I liked, it wasn't super heavy, but you strip down, you get in your boxers or you get in just some base layer, you slide into that thing and it's warm right out of the gate because it's fleece and it's adding an extra 10 degrees, supposedly is what they say. Um, I could tell it would help a little bit, um, but it's one of those things you get a 20 degree bag, you got that sleeping bag liner you know, that's going to help you out just a little bit more. Um, it might save because that, that jump from just a little bit of research that I've done, if you look at a 20-degree bag, you look at a zero-degree bag, the amount of down or synthetic, whatever they're using, it is a huge jump in price. 
you know, going from those two bags. Yeah, and then you have to look at the fill, how much they put in. Yep. And then total weight. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I think sleeping bags are one thing I don't think a guy would skimp on. Buy once, cry once. Same with the pack. Yep. You get the right pack. You don't have to shuffle and go through. And, like, are you going to sell this Eberly stock? No. So I'll actually keep it. So I have a Mystery Ranch bag that I think is a great day hiking. It's not going to carry more than 40 pounds. Just I'm not a huge fan of suspension on it. Um, I'm not going to get rid of this Everly stock pack. So what I'll end up using that for is um, as one of my nephews gets older, I'm trying to get him into hunting. Um, it'd be a great pack for him to learn. There you go. Um, my brothers or whoever is willing to come help me pack a bull out, it, it's still a good bag um, for packing stuff out. Um, if you're just carrying meat and some small stuff, it, it would be fine. But for me, carrying all of the crap that I carry and packing meat and packing a bow, I got to shave weight where I can. So looking to a little bit lighter option. Um, the other thing, I got two kids. So a lot of the stuff that I have, you know, I've handed down pocket knives to my older daughter. I've handed down stuff. I've had this stuff for years. You know, assuming that pack holds up, I'll end up giving that to one of my daughters and she can use. There you so, go. Uh, your oldest is 10? 10 years old. But not really into hunting, no hunter safety, none of that stuff yet? Um, so I've taken her out turkey hunting once. Um, it was an, it was a fun experience. We had a Tom that basically popped out onto the road that we were on. We were tucked into the, to the brush. This Tom popped out maybe 15 yards away and, uh, she had her little 20 gauge and, uh, she was ready to shoot him. and she was just so nervous shaking. I mean, she couldn't find the trigger guard. She couldn't find the trigger. She just, it was a, it was an interesting experience for the both of us. And, uh, she was really excited about it. You know, she, uh, even to this day, she's like, dad, my heart was like just pounding out of my chest. Yeah. And, uh, it, it was fun for the both of us, but the last probably year, um, she's definitely doing more girly stuff and, uh, she's not stoked about the woods, um, as much last year. Um, she got a tick on her and I think that, traumatized her but uh it, it's just one of those things that i'm not gonna push it if she doesn't want to hunt i'm not gonna force her to go out and hunt um she loves outdoors she loves um riding dirt bikes um she loves camping so all those things i think are awesome um my youngest daughter loves to shoot her bow she wants to go hunting with me every chance she can get but a lot of the areas that i go um, an eight-year-old not going to be able to get there. So, um, fingers crossed, my younger daughter will be the hunter. But you never know. My uh, my older daughter's ten, and she might work her way back to hunting. So we'll kind of play it by ear, see how it goes. Um, any more any more recent gear upgrades before we switch gears? Um, so last year I kind of mentioned um, the whole rain thing. Um, I think a lot of us from Washington, Idaho, Montana, we all had the same weather. Um, I think it was a huge mental game for a lot of us, and it was a huge test of our gear. 
and the only piece of gear that kept me dry was Sitka rain gear. I had um, a pair of frog togs that were just garbage. Those things, I would get wet and they just shredded. Um, I had some Under Armour stuff that would would soak within you know an hour of a downpour. I would get wet. Um, I know a lot of us, you know, are pinching pennies. We're trying to spend money on either um, good gear, on bows, or on tags. And the one thing that I've really learned probably the last three years is rain gear and gear to keep you warm, you don't want to be cheap. And uh, just like you mentioned, the buy once, cry once thing, you know, Sitka gear is not cheap. It's not cheap for a reason. That's the only thing that kept me dry. And uh, I'd, I'd put that jacket on. I'd have a base layer. I'd have a puffy layer. And I'd have that rain gear on. And and I would stay completely dry. I would stay warm. And it, it rained on me for eight days in a row. And, I mean, the, the stuff is not cheap for a reason. And I know there's people that kind of look at Sitka gear and they just don't want to spend the money for it. But in the long run, you get out six miles from your truck or deeper. Now you're soaking wet because you're a cheap ass and bought cheap gear. Now you're cold and you either have to get back to your truck, which if you're soaking wet, cold, getting rained on and you're hiking six miles back in, that's not the smartest thing to do. Or you're getting back to your spike camp, and now you're completely drenched. You got your spike camp. You're going to have to get a fire going, and you're going to have to try to dry your gear out. And most of us that have been in this game long enough, drying your gear out by a fire, I would say 50-50, you're melting your gear. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Man, so. I melted an elk-shaped hat last year. <laughs> And it just caught fire. And then my buddy texted me that he did the same thing to his, but uh, Jeff Bynum, he tried to dry out his elk-shaped hat, and it just caught fire. So (laughs) if you bought an elk-shaped hat, I just want you all to be careful. Those things are flammable. (laughs) Come to find out. Um, I still got mine. I haven't burned it. Yeah, don't burn it. But, uh, yeah, so gears, gears, man, I think for upgrades I'm going to have to do – I got the sleeping bag. That was the biggest thing I wanted to upgrade this year, and that one that was the the biggest ticket item. Um, yep. And then as far as uh, I used to run a contour camera, and it I could put it on my head like a headband, and it would be off to the side. Oh yeah, yep. and I some, actually remember watching YouTube videos with you running that. Somewhere in Idaho is a contour camera, <laughs> and there's a card on there, and I'm like. I got 10 yards from a 350 bull in Idaho, which I've, I think I've only killed one bull in Idaho that was 348. The rest are like low 300. So this is a 350 bull, 10 yards from me, and I can't draw my bow. And then he turns his head and I go to draw. And he, like, I swear he just heard the sound of my wheels turning on my cam, my cams Uh. turning. And he bolted. But I was 10 yards with an action camera that's not fish-eyed, and it was pointing right at him. And then I chased him up the canyon the rest of the day yep. and then ran into another big bull, not as big as him. 
somewhere in that and i remember i ran on x tracking that day that's this was a couple years ago before i was with base map and i ran tracking i did 22 miles that day dang which i think is still my record i've I don't think that's a good thing when elk hunting. I think you're just hiking a lot. Yeah. But I was chasing herds. It, there was hot cows every direction. It was just one of those days. Yep. And I, I just kept on chasing two different herds all day. Uh, the bull and the satellite, the, the, the bulls would not let the cows sleep. Like, they were just trying to mate. And so those cows were running for their lives. <laughs> and I was running with them. Somewhere in that 22 miles, I dropped that contour camera. Ugh. And man, I went back and I've looked three different times, retracing my tracks, and I cannot find. And I remember this one section I went, sneaking through this downfall section. Yep. And I think that's where it popped out. And I went through there and I can't find it. But so if you find a contour camera in, in Idaho, I'm not going to say where. Uh, and there's a 350 bull standing there about 10 yards and it doesn't die that's my that's my that's my footage i'd love to see it you can uh. and so the next year i bought another contour camera and i bought this one off um i think i bought it off ebay new mm-hmm. and they had made the 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 view was like a it had a doubler on it so instead of like which I thought would be good for elk hunting. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, everything always looks kind of far away anyways from that point of view. Yep. And But the doubler was too much. So you you could not really tell what the heck was going on. So I sold that, and I bought a GoPro Hero 7. Yep. And I've been running that over my shoulder with a monopod strapped to my XO, and that works okay but I'd love for somebody to come out with a good camera system. And I don't want to put like, there's this guy out of Idaho that designed this one, but it's basically for like kind of like a mini Panasonic flip camera. Yep. That's too, I don't, that's too much weight on my head. I, yeah. But I would love to figure out point of view that didn't fish eye that could really, so I don't have to have a cameraman. Right. Cause I don't like to hunt with people. Um, <laughs> I'm way, I've had, you know, I've struggled. So that's one thing I'm still kind of thinking about, maybe looking at contours again and seeing if they've done any changes. Because that did work pretty good. Although it wasn't, definitely wasn't 4K quality like my Sony. Yep. Um, and then the goal zero, is that what it is? Your, yep. I, I could see that being pretty handy when hunting like spike style because i'm always charging my poseidon dark energy which is similar to your yep yeah that, they make good products too yeah your battery bank i usually have to charge that at my truck with a generator yeah you so know that's I mean? rough because then you're always hoping at least every two days you're gonna have to get back to your truck because i run my phone pretty much non-stop while hunting whether i'm taking yep. pictures or filming or running base map or whatever yep. the whole time so that's kind of the crux and then if i turn my gopro on that battery and you can't change out batteries on a gopro 7 yeah so the camera that i end up running that's similar like the gopro um, i have a, a dgi osmos action yeah um, it's still a fisheye um, it has the capability of adding different filters to the front of the lens but the huge thing is the battery comes out so i actually have a little battery pack that'll hold three batteries that you can charge all three at the same time 
but I have two extra batteries in my pack and one in the camera. Yeah, and the GoPro used to be like that. I, maybe they changed it, but this GoPro 7, Yep. there's no taking the battery out. It's like an iPhone. Yeah, that's rough. I don't like that. So, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do there. We'll see. Maybe I just need to get a cameraman and suck it up. Yeah, just need to get a good cameraman to follow you around. But uh, the that's pretty much it as far as my upgrades go. Like, I did get a new iPhone, and I don't have the InReach app. I just thought of that when you were talking. I'm like, oh, I need to download that. Yeah. But I still got time, and I don't have a subscription right now to my InReach. Yep. Um, I usually don't activate that till August. You just keep yours going year-round, or... So that's one of the things um, I take it with me a lot. So when I was out with Tim, I had it. Obviously, I've had it when I'm without with you. Um, when I go out by myself, I, I take that thing with me. And it, it's on a subscription all year long. And kind of along the lines, the buy ones, cry ones thing, whether it's me and my girls or whether it's me on a scouting trip or me just going backpacking or going by myself that thing comes with me so i pay i think it's an extra 17 dollars for the year um if you have to get helivac out you don't have this twenty thousand dollar bill you have to pay for so i i don't even look at the statement i just know i pay for it every month and it comes with me when i need it gotcha so dude you um you did elk shape camp yep. the second one we ever did Yep. By the way, we have, I can't believe, the whole premise of me doing elk-shaped camps was to have them wrapped up by about now so I could really <laughs> focus on bear hunting and then really just overload my family and get them just spend as much time as possible to where they're just like, okay, get the heck out of here. Go hunting. <laughs> We're tired of you. But I actually got to go do Colorado elk-shaped camp in June. Yep. As long as their governor doesn't do anything weird, that's a go. That camp's sold out. I mean, I think there's only – we could take two more, and the registration is open. If you're in Colorado, you want to go. I think it's June 12th through the 14th or 10th through the 12th. I can't remember. It's it's a Friday through Sunday, and we got uh, Dirk's going to that one. And Aaron Snyder, Kafaru, yeah. yep. is going to be there. That will be fun to, to kind of hang out with him. Um and then Phil Mendoza, No Limits Archery. It's going to be awesome. And then we got our lacrosse, Wisconsin camp, and that one has four spots left. And that one's a go. Jason Phelps and I are going to that one, and Jeff Bynum and uh, Anthony Schmidt, who owns lacrosse archery. And that guy is super geek on archery. He makes his own string, started as a string manufacturer, and then opened an archery shop. And he's a cool dude because I just watched him on the Dave Ramsey show. Nice. He went down to Nashville to do his debt-free scream live, him and his wife. So he's living that debt-free life. So I want to pick his brain how he did it. And so he's a cool dude. And then I'm going to see the Matthews HQ when I'm there and That's possibly awesome. Vortex. And then we have our Vancouver, Washington, which is it's not going to be in Vancouver, Washington, folks. And I had to refund a few people, but I still have a bunch of people that were like, I don't care where it is. Just tell me when and where. And so we're trying to figure out where to put that one. But uh, once I get that finalized, I'll probably annoy people on Instagram and Facebook and say, this camp is 
got spots. Sign up, sign up, sign up. Joel Turner's going to be there. And I think Joel Turner is one of the best guys to have at any elk shape camp from what he does from a shooting perspective is like unparalleled the mental side uh because we all work our asses off to get this one said shot opportunity and you want to have everything pretty much figured out and rehearsed mentally and know that your game is dialed and joel just does the best job i've ever seen working with people through their shot process so we're going to do that washington state elk shape camp we're going to have Joel Turner. I just don't know. The, the the dates aren't exactly finalized or the location. So, But you went to Elk Shape Camp. Yeah. You showed up. And right at the time that you did that, you had joined the gym that I had owned at the time. <laughs> yeah. So. so how the hell did you find out about the gym, the whole CrossFit thing? Uh, I know what you were doing. You were doing a lot of bro science, <laughs> buys and tries, maybe yep. some treadmill, chest day, back day, leg day. And then all that got flipped upside down when you started doing CrossFit. But, like, I want to talk about this process. I just want to end this podcast with kind of that health and fitness angle. Yeah, so I, me growing up, obviously working on a ranch was super physical. You know, we're building fences and throwing hay bales, stuff like that. So, I was always in somewhat good shape. Um, going to high school, just out of high school, you know, going to gyms, it was always the, you know, the tough guy bodybuilding style workouts. Um, and moving to Spokane, so when I moved to Spokane, was probably right when I was at my heaviest. So I'm 5'10", 5'11", and I was like right at like 200 pounds. Um, a little fluffy, a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, I started basically running and, uh, my brother, he's got a garage gym that at the time was kind of very minimal stuff in there. And I started working out with him a little bit, um, probably six months into that, ended up getting a membership at a, a local gym, um, just down from the house and just did basic like treadmill, like you said, um, I did a lot of bench press stuff. I did a lot of leg exercises um, on machines, different things like that. Um, the more and more me being in Spokane and focusing on archery hunting, um, hand in hand went with being physical fit. So um, the country that we have up here is steep, nasty. You're going up and down a lot, and uh, you need to be in shape. Um, like that canyon we dropped yesterday. <laughs> we didn't even talk about that stock. Yeah. We that, had to cross the river. That was a good time. That was a steep, steep, yeah. steep. Yeah, so when it's steep like that where you're having to grab branches and trees and pull yourself up, I mean, it's just leg, core. Tell me I you mean, were a little jealous of my trekking pole. Were I'm, you ever? I'm not going to lie. So you know where my trekking poles are? Uh-uh. They're both in Tim's truck. Oh, Tim. And I was like, damn it. Yeah, I man, I, I had that one trucker, and it saved me a few times. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so um, you're, you move back to Spokane. You, you kind of get your heaviest. You do something about it. Bow hunting is physical. Yep. What, like, tell us, like, what does it take to the listeners to do what you did and not be chubby anymore? and be kind of a threat to elk's well-being because of your physical side too. Yeah, so I think for me personally, I, I think 
you got to be able to flip that switch and make that that mental goal and say i'm gonna get in shape i'm gonna get healthy you know for whatever reason if you want to do it just to look good hey whatever you know good on you if you want to do it for hunting if you want to do it to have good long-term life because you have kids you want to live for a long time whatever it is you need to be able to flip that switch and realize hey i put on some weight i'm not in good shape right now and make that decision mentally and and push yourself and hold yourself accountable and it's never going to be that magic take that one pill and you're going to be in the best shape it's getting up every day and grinding and working out and part of it you know when i signed up for for elk shape i knew that you had the gym at the time so before i even went to elk shape camp i came down to crossfit spokane valley kind of picked your brain a little bit and i went through five six classes um, down at the gym before we even did um, elk shape and I know in the workout community, a lot of people look at CrossFit and a lot of people look at bodybuilding and all these different things. And there's tons of memes. And there's tons of people making fun of different people. Um, me personally, if you're at the gym working out, you're doing something good on you, whether it's yeah. the healthiest thing, whether it's the best thing for whatever. If you're trying to be the biggest buff guy out there, doing CrossFit is not going to do it. But if you want to be the guy out in the woods that can run all day and not going to get tired and carry tons of weight, I've, I don't think there's anything better than CrossFit. And I can tell you my flexibility is better, my mobility is better, my core is better. You know, there's tons of different things. So, like, uh, we're at your house and we were doing a workout, me, you, and Tim. Those sandbag get-ups, dude, those things rock my world. Like yeah. I, I put those into my exercise we're doing at my brother's house. I got yeah. a 50-pound a sandbag, and I do get-ups probably twice a week now. Nice. So something that you were weak at got put to the top of the list. Yep. Where conversely, some people will usually put the things they're good at or they excel at at the top of their list. I know that functional fitness works. I know that continuity is the bottom line. Yep. But it's not just about working out, man. Like, you've really stepped up your nutrition game. And I know we're almost to your house, so we got to hustle. But nutritionally speaking, what are some of the best decisions you've made in the last year that have made you feel better about yourself and perform better? Um, so drinking tons of water. I, I drink a lot of water um, throughout the day. Like um, a gallon? So the Nalgene bottles that I carry with me? Yeah. I drink probably four of those in a day normally working out i'll drink one of those like after workout um i try to do a protein shake after a big workout i usually do a frozen banana some peanut butter um in a protein shake um i i like pretty much all vegetables and fruit the one thing i think is devil's food is mushrooms i can't stand mushrooms but I, I eat a lot of vegetables. Um, it's not that I want to, but I force myself to eat a lot of vegetables because I know they're healthy. Um, obviously, the last two years, having a freezer full of elk meat is pretty nice. 
So I've been eating a lot of elk meat. I've been eating a lot of chicken. I've been eating a lot of fish. Um, but the the big thing, once me personally, I've noticed you're eating healthy consistency for for consistently for a long period of time. When you eat like some fast food, when you eat stuff, man, you feel like crap. Like you know it's not good for you. So it just. It, it's fine to get back on track, you know, the next day, whatever it is, get back in your routine. But when you can see your body changing, when you can feel better, you know that you're on the right path, you just keep that snowball rolling. Um, you know, I could eat ice cream every day. You know, you give me a tub of some Ben and Jerry's, man, I'll pound that thing in like five minutes. But you do that every day, I'm going to be a big old Pillsbury Doughboy. So I don't eat ice cream every day, but once a week, twice a week, you bet, I'm going to have some ice cream. And it's not that you can't eat certain things. It's you just have to minimize what you're eating um, and force yourself to eat healthier things. But you can have healthy food that still tastes good. I mean, you don't have to eat stuff that just tastes bad. But the other thing is I do, um, I kind of limit myself to three to four meals throughout the day there was a time I was working out twice a day so I'd work out in the morning and I'd work out at night so I was doing CrossFit in the morning I'd get up 4 30 go do CrossFit in the morning go to work for 10 hours a day come home eat some food then I would go to the local gym here get home and I would eat again and I was eating five times a day and I was noticing putting on a little bit of weight but I'm also eating way too much food and I wasn't sleeping as great because I think I'm eating so late I'm eating like 9 30 10 o'clock at night then I'm going to bed um, so what I did is brought it back to three four times a day um, meals and I'm only working out once a day but I'm pushing myself harder during that workout um, I think working out twice a day for me personally was just a little too much I wasn't recovering fast enough um, and it's kind of limiting what I could do um, in my morning workouts um, but I think you know eat, having your vitamins drinking a lot of water and eating healthy food is probably 70% of what we need to be doing as far as um, being healthy Oh, yeah. Yeah, the results come from nutrition. That's right, and recovering. The training part's the easy part, and most people stumble with that, Yeah. let alone. But they go hand in hand. You consistently work out. You'll probably consistently eat clean. You skip a couple workouts. You might eat a little bit more ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jake, thanks for coming on, dude. Um, it's been fun getting to know you. Thanks for coming with me these last few days. Pretty decent bear hunting. Um, I can say you got after it. You're never had to wait for you that's the biggest litmus test for me is <laughs> i hate waiting so yep. have your stuff ready to go if anything you waited on me a little bit but uh no you did great uh one request i have for listeners is that jake you didn't know i was gonna say this is that dude you need some instagram followers you are a really <laughs> cool guy into all the stuff that i think's cool elk hunting fitness and you're a total geek in archery i saw you doing stuff on your instagram like testing 
four different types of arrows and fletching configurations and weights up front. You have your own chronograph. Yeah. You just got a new Matthew. So guys, give him a follow on Instagram. What is your Instagram handle? So it's uh, jakeweb559. jakeweb559. Give that dude a follow. Trust me, he does some cool things, and I want to get him more followers because he's just a cool dude. That's the only reason. So, um, guys, thanks for listening to this episode. You have a lot of options out there, and this is just your blue-collar, regular old hunters like you that just like to get after it and like to work hard towards our goals. Hope you're doing the same, and we will catch you on the next one. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Getting to know Jake. He's a great guy. I'm serious. Give him a follow on Instagram. The dude is awesome. He's not trying to be insta-famous. He's just a, a regular guy like us who's blue-collar. Works hard, hunts hard, has had some great success, and I think he's going to do it again this year. So good luck to you, Jake, and thanks for being on the podcast. Guys, remember, if you want some Vortex swag, go to their website. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE. Get 20% off their apparel. Uh, Black Ovis has ELKSHAPE 20% off, and you can get that kill kit that I run. It's pretty awesome. If you want a discount on the Sika gear from Black Ovis, you have to call them. Tell them you're an Elk Shape podcast listener. Again, Wilderness Athlete, Elk Shape 30, we'll get you 30% off. If you go over to Climate and you're looking to upgrade your sleep systems, use the discount code Elk Shape 20 and get yourself 20% off. Baku e-bikes is Elk Shape 400. And Lakewood products, that's with a double bow case. That's what I rock when I go out of state. I carry both bows in one case. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE2020 and save 10% off. Have the best week ever. Keep hustling in the name of better elk hunting, in the name of discipline, delayed gratification, and separations in the preparation. So go ahead and make it happen for yourself. Do the things that you don't want to do. Put them at the top of the list. Put your weaknesses up at the top of the list. Spend time with your family. Engage. Deposit lots of love in their bank accounts so you can withdraw come September. Peace.